Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Scott Luton and Greg White here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's episode. Greg, how are you doing? I'm doing very, very well. So folks we're going to talk to, I know from way back, so I'm pretty excited to see what's going on there. We are too. Uh, got a great conversation teed up here today. We're going to be diving into the furniture industry and talk with a business leader that's had quite a journey. Andrew Koenig, CEO with City Furniture. Andrew, how you doing? I'm doing great, Scott. How you doing, bud? Wonderful. Wonderful. I'll tell you, we have been, uh, Greg, we have been uh, hitting uh, homers left and right with some of these interviews. And uh, Andrew, your reputation, uh, your ears have been burning a lot. I've heard a lot about you, so I'm looking forward to, to learning your story firsthand. Before we get into the furniture industry and even supply chain, auto racing, what, what do auto racing Andrew have in common, you think? Uh, the Miami Grand Prix, for sure. Right? <laughs> right. It's down there. Yeah. Well, so Andrew, we've done a little homework on the front end. Rumor has it you are becoming a huge F1 fan. Tell us a little bit about the sport uh, and how you got hooked on it. I'm, I'm like uh, many Americans that recently have fell in love with uh, F1 thanks to the recent Netflix series, uh, Race to Survive, I believe that's the name. Uh, but um, I just fell in love with it. And when they were coming down here, uh, you know, we we believe at City to be strong partners with the community and the sporting events and the sports teams are are really some of the best times when our community gets together and has some fun. So uh, we reached out to them. They're, they happen to be uh, existing partners with ours, the Miami Dolphins. So uh, long story short, we did a huge deal with them uh, to furnish tons of their villas all across the entire uh, you know, complex basically. And, wow. uh, so yeah, we're, we're good partners. I love, I love race and love the competition. I love the heatedness and, you know, the, the precision, the focus, the preparation, the hard work, the technology, there's just so many cool things. Uh, you really learn behind the scenes in that Netflix series that, uh, just made me love the sport. Yeah. And the teamwork, uh, especially in the, in the pit when they stop for like two seconds, it seems Greg, mm -hmm. are you a big F1 fan too? Probably not as big as as Andrew, but yeah. I, so I'm a big Aston Martin fan, and they just got back into the sport a couple of years ago, and they're starting to get their feet under them. Yeah. I love watching it. Well, uh, so and and, and that the uh, reality series on Netflix has hooked a lot of folks, as you mentioned, Andrew. One more yeah. question about sports uh, and not F1 racing. I, I'm still trying to get into that, but baseball. Um, that '97 Florida Marlins team. Oh yeah. man, Dontra. I think Dontra Willis is on that team. I think Chucky Carr was the guy that could, you know, get from first to, to home in like two seconds. Uh, yeah. uh, and they, they won Conine. it all. Right. Conine, Jeff Conine. He's yeah, like, that's a, a right. I forgot about that. He yeah. was like Mr. Marlin. Uh, he, yeah. He'd been in the organization so long, right? Still is. He is. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh well, yeah. He, he's big in the community down here. He's a good dude. Okay. Wonderful. Well, Hey, we're going to have to have you back for our sports focused show. Uh, but for now, Greg, we got to dive into what's a great story out uh, uh, across supply chain, across across the furniture industry, and a lot more. 
Uh, so I want to start, Greg and Andrew. Andrew, tell us about facility furniture. You know, give us a sense, especially for kind of setting a table a bit, a feel for the organization and its footprint. So, so the way like I uh, describe city is um, started in 1971. Uh, my father and my uncle, a couple of hippies, um, um, natural entrepreneurs. Uh, they sold yo-yos on the street corner, saved up money as a bellman uh, to open up our first waterbed store. And it was the 70s and waterbeds were cool then. So uh, Waterbed City started and uh, grew a really nice business up until the late 80s when all of a sudden, though, uh, waterbeds started getting outlawed. And, uh, um, you know, especially on the second floor above apartment buildings and, uh, early nineties, we transitioned into city furniture, a full line home furnishings retailer, uh, to the right of us was rooms to go, which was a, a new startup, uh, essentially mm -hmm. that came down from the Northeast and to the left of us was the number one furniture retailer in the country called Levitt's furniture. If you remember them. Oh yeah. Um, and, you know, fa fast forward, we're, we're city furniture to this day is is the number one home furnishing uh, retailer in South Florida. We've now expanded into Central Florida, uh, both Orlando and Tampa. So we got about 3,000 strong, uh, about 35 stores. Um, and we have four distribution centers throughout Florida, two different headquarters, one here in Tamarack, a little west of Fort Lauderdale, and one in Plant City. We're, we're all about letting our corporate office folks work from wherever. Of course, we got our stores and our, our warehouses where everybody's pretty much positioned at there. Um, so we got a lot of people, a lot of stores, a lot of sales team, a lot of operational focus. Um, and um, we we focus in the starting price point uh, pr product lineup, uh, all different various trends, pretty much all the popular trends. And then we'll we'll go up in price points to what I like to say, like a lower high end. Think of like a BMW. We're not going to no. sell Aston Martins or <laughs> Ferraris, uh, but but we'll have really beautiful step up product that can compete with the Williams Sonomas, the RHs, but be affordable, wow. but still very stylish. And from a supply chain standpoint, we actually have it all in stock. And uh, that's something you know, my uncle was always strong about just making sure we satisfy that customer as soon as possible. So we've been doing same day delivery since 2001, way, be, way before Amazon made it cool. Um, and, uh, you know, we have customer pickup. And so we're all about fulfilling that customer as fast as possible, whatever price point, whatever style, whatever trend they want it uh, as quickly as possible. Okay. So Greg, uh, before I uh, follow up on the question with Andrew, one question for you, Greg, did you ever have a waterbed going back to the earliest part of Andrew's answer? Uh, I did by marriage. I, <laughs> I got a waterbed by marriage. Yes. My fiance, now, now wife, uh, yep. had a waterbed. And it was the old-fashioned kind with the wood sides and no oh. baffles in the mattress. Yeah. The wavy oh, one. Man. Yeah. Um, well, speak to, uh, Greg, speak to, uh, we got a lot. We got a good feel of the organization yeah. and the Andrew's response. What comes to your mind? Well, I'm afraid I'm going to give away um, the next question, which okay. is what might surprise our listeners. So I'd love to hear his answer first so I don't steal anyone's thunder. Okay. I, there's and a couple of things out there that are really super unique about the furniture industry that I bet a lot of people don't know. Andrew, speak to that. Uh, you know, a lot of folks, may have, a lot of our listeners perhaps, may not be real familiar with the furniture industry, especially an insider's view. What might surprise them? I think uh, – um how how adept we are actually in technology, uh, specifically when it comes to augmented reality. Uh, we put a, we put a lot of time and energy into making sure that all of our products online are 
3D viewable. And there's a lot of retailers like us throughout the country. So, you know, the, the ability to, you know, use technology to see product in their home before they buy, that's that's typically something our, our customers even now don't don't realize that we have that capability uh, that they can do. So, um, and we have some even more uh, pretty sweet technology coming that's just going to really blow blow up and revolutionize the ability for customers to view products, view entire room settings uh, from the comfort of their home or from their cell phone. So um, I, I'd say one thing that comes to my mind, I think listeners would not know is that we, we, we got a pretty cool, what we call XR, uh, like an, a customer experience reality options that they can uh, really see some products in their home. Okay. Uh, Greg, now, that we've put the question out there. What what else would you add? Yeah, well, I think I think the complexities of the furniture industry and the way that City and other modern retailers have really revolutionized it, right? I mean, Scott, you and I talked about going to Hickory and ordering furniture that you didn't get for three or six or nine months. Right. Right. And if you wanted a particular pattern that wasn't in the store, well, often even if it was in the store, you would still have to wait weeks or months to get it. So that is a huge that and and doing that so long ago was a huge step for the industry, the ability to deliver it immediately. And um, when you see a city store, which is essentially a warehouse with a display room, right? Uh, showroom. Right. Um, I mean, there, you could actually walk out of there with, with a, with a couch or the entire room or whatever. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So I think that's a huge, I know that's old hat for you, Andrew, but I think, there probably are, are a lot of our listeners who don't know that you ever had to do that. You ever had to wait weeks or months for furniture. And um, in 2001, that was a huge revolutionary change. The other uh, thing about furniture that is, I think the, these guys have really revolutionized is the notion of treating a retail store like a typical re retail store, even other, you know, we did, we dealt at Blue Ridge with a lot of, of furniture brands, but a lot of them, they could deliver it in a day or something like that, but it still wasn't in the store. It wasn't a part of the forward inventory as we called it. And um, I think that's a really smart thing to do because even in the relatively small regional area that the city operates in, um, it gives them a huge advantage, just enormous, mm. even over some other local or national chains in their markets. Andrew, get you to respond there before we move forward with, uh, we're talking about your journey here in a second. Yeah, it's, it is. I take it for granted, uh, you know, just, and I think our sales team does too. And yeah, eventually our, our customers, but yeah, it's a logistic, logistical uh, uh, big challenge to get all that product here to, you know, have, you know, nearly 90% in stock to go into, you know, a Memorial Day weekend and, and satisfy that within, you know, a day or even, you know, same day or customer pickup, you name it. So um, it, it, you're absolutely right. It's, it's, it's an enormous challenge. I'm real proud of the team. And, and over the last few years, we've actually expanded our product uh, SKU count substantially. That's mm -hmm. helped satisfy more demand and get more business, but it, it does make the, uh, create some gray hairs on our supply chain. <laughs> That's a big but, investment to have yeah. all that inventory forward. I mean, yeah, we, I mean, I told you we have four distribution centers. I mean, literally South of Orlando, right. You know, that's, 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 that's unusual, but 
if you know, we believe if you got the product, take that customer out of the market as quickly as possible. They're happy. The salesperson's happier. And, you know, we all know a happy customer tells, you know, six, eight, you know, whoever, however many people nowadays and uh, just drives more word of mouth business. So, Greg, where are we going next uh, with Andrew Koenig? I, I know a little bit, only mostly from reading. By the way, congratulations to your dad on the Horatio Alger uh, Award recently. Thank you. Um, but I know you guys had a very specific methodology of having even family members work their way through the organization. Um, and and uh, I understand that in 2006, you started in the receiving department. Were you really unloading furniture from containers? I mean, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? yeah. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gotten any respect from the team if, you know, I didn't, you know, shoulder to shoulder uh, with, with, um, you know, the receiving team. So definitely started there, worked all the different departments and operations. When the time was right, you know, I would, you know, you know, try to take on the next role, team leader, then supervisor. And it was an amazing journey. I'm so glad I started in operations. And, you know, I, I love our people so much. Uh, and, you know, to to start in the warehouse was probably the best thing because like, I just respect our receiving team, everybody in operations tremendous, like so much more because, you know, I've, I've done all that work with them. And, and to my, to this day, some of my best relationships at city. I think if you did Undercover Boss, it wouldn't be as big a surprise when you got into the operations of it because of that. I mean, it's kind of the inverse of that. Yeah, I, I don't want to be rude to Undercover Boss, but I could never do that because my people know me. They'd know me if I wore a purple wig, red wig, a, a beard. You yeah. Know, they have my cell phone numbers. I don't, I don't, they, they, they know when I gain like three pounds, they're like, hey, you gained a little weight. They know when I lose a couple weight. Like, that's awesome. You know, they're, we're, we're so tight that, you know, it's that that couldn't ever fly. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about that and a little bit about some of the like leadership lessons or business lessons that you learned from that process. Yeah. So so I think I, I was very lucky to just watch my father just be just a good family business owner and, and treat people right. So, you know, we're, we're, there's no secret sauce. It's just have great relationships. You know, we're, we we subscribed a lot of the Dale Carnegie methodology, know people's name, have relationships, you know, really authentic personal relationships. I, I probably have a, a, a city event in my house every other week, inviting 20 people over. And I mean, these people become just, you know, we're just so tight and we're going to war every day, whether it's through COVID or, or 2008 recession, what it doesn't matter. We're, we're just, we're so strongly connected. We know each other, we trust and respect each other. And if you can get all that personal stuff behind, now let's go solve some problems. You know, whether it's making the company safer, better quality, better on-time delivery, whatever. We're just, we're working together. We already know each other. There's no egos, there's no titles. Like, let's solve some problems. Let's make this company better. And then, you know, my dad was really good about rewarding and giving back to the team, you know, when we had milestones. And my mom was awesome about making us celebrate those wins and, and having big parties. I mean, you know, we've set Fort Lauderdale records for like <laughs> best parties for businesses in Fort Lauderdale. Some of these invoices might make you fall out of your chair, but, but <laughs> we, we, we believe in having fun. I think, I think just, we just hit our 50th anniversary this past July and we had a 2000 person party at the signature grand. And, um, I mean, to this day, you know, people are still talking about it and saying this is the greatest company ever. And, and I, I'm just so proud of that. Like, you know, I, 
I don't need any more. I'm, I'm beyond blessed. So is my dad. My dad still lives in the same house for 30 years. So, it, you know, it's just all those little natural characteristics that, you know, we're, we're not a business. We're, we're a family. We're a team trying to make it happen every day. I love that. Make everyone part of the family in the family business. Trying. I'm going to tell you the last two minutes and we are recording it. That should be shattered from the mountaintops. Uh, your view on uh, the people that make it happen and how we all stand on the shoulders of those giants. Andrew, hey, man, we, I think we're second cousins in, in terms of a worldview for that because that's the important stuff. Uh, since you talked about your father and, and of course, you're, you're now CEO. Kenya, uh, and we're going to talk about your lean thinking here in a second, but what's one thing you touched on how you and your father really view um, the culture and the family and uh, and, and a lot of similarities there. What's one thing you think is a little bit different in terms of how you lead versus how your father did? So it, it would probably go back to my lean training and development where I think in the, I think in the eighties and nineties and early two thousands, you know, leadership was expected to have all the right answers to every question. Um, I, I empower the bejesus out of my team. And, you know, I've, I'm I'm more focused on making sure the right people in the room. We 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 are we are trying to solve the right problem. Um, I'm supporting them. Whereas I would say, you know, maybe the old school leadership style was a little top down. Yeah. And, and I think he'd be okay with me saying this. Like I think our batting average is much higher. Okay. The methodology of solving problems is more team based. And you know, I've you know, I if I don't see the right people in the room solving a problem and I see it's too too much leadership, not people doing the work, or you know, where's HR, or where's tech, you know, you know, I'm I'm very cognizant on on making sure we have the right system and teamwork and, mm. and you know, and he was just and I think that was just a general generation right. thing. Right. Yeah, I, I completely get it. And we're gonna dive more into lean thinking. Uh Greg, get you to comment really quick. One of the themes that I'm hearing through Andrew's answers thus far is empowering the team to you know, be successful, solve problems. You know, uh, I love that message. Your thoughts, Greg. I think that's an incredible message, but I also think we have to acknowledge to Andrew, to your point is that business complexity evolved over the years. When your dad started the company, there was no tech department, right? <laughs> I mean, right. There weren't, there weren't a lot of departments. There weren't a lot of metrics and data and all of that information available. You really had to go by your gut. I mean, I think if there's anything I, I've seen from the, the uh, now ascended management team at City, it was that they were much more metric and much more process oriented because you, you couldn't be when Keith started the company, right? There just was not, not enough infrastructure to do that. And I think it's a natural evolution of business. Yeah. And I, I think your dad would 100% agree with your assessment, be very proud of how you, you guys together and now you run the company because it has been it, it has been a 52 year evolution of the business environment right so it's a dramatically different world now than it was yeah. then so andrew you mentioned uh, lean thinking uh, from what we have uncovered you were given the great fortune to study lean thinking lean philosophy at toyota headquarters in japan no less what a special uh, experience that must be and, and since then, as you mentioned, you've brought that lean thinking to city furniture in about 2007, um, two part question. Hey, talk about how cool it was to study lean there in Japan at Toyota, and then talk about how that has impacted the organization ever since. So the, the story goes, um, I read a book called the machine that changed the world about 2003. And in my, in my class, 
you know, the book really highlights that they're programmed differently. They got a, a different culture. They they have what they call the Toyota production system. And what I like to say is just the system of working together to solve problems. And um, so read the book, called Keith, my father, and I said, hey, I know you know Jim Moran, who was JM Lexus, uh, Southeast uh, Toyota distributor. I said, I need um, a tour uh, for in over in Japan, and I need you to hook me up, call the guy, you know. And long story short, he did. And Jim Moran got me just one of the most amazing tours my entire life and mm. uh, behind the scenes education of what I read in the book, got to see it with my own two eyes. And then I just became an absolute like zealot disciple, read everything on Toyota, um, just been a subject matter expert. So that was in 2003-ish, came back and I tried to convince Keith, my father, to good, apply lean thinking to our business. A lot of our business was ran differently at that time. Uh, he didn't listen for several years, not until uh, the Great Recession was looming its head. And that's when when he really started to see waste. And, and he was so good. I mean, I every birthday, Father's Day, Christmas. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't care what holiday it was. I was dropping off lean books on his desk and he read them all. He read them all. But, you know, if you run a business for 40 years doing it differently, it's really hard to change your mindset. Not until that recession really was coming at us hard. That uh, he was like, okay, let's 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 do this lean thing. Let's do this lean journey. And since then, for the last sixteen years, he's been our or been my biggest supporter to transform our culture. And um, so, you know, fast forward now, I you know all the metrics are better, uh, all the safety, quality, customer sat. We had a record CSAT levels, you know, record growth of over the last fourteen years. Um, just just all the numbers are insane and uh i'm i'm um, i'm more excited that our culture is just super strong you know you could be one day in our culture making ideas giving ideas and improving your work immediately and uh making our business better so it's it's awesome so greg i'll get you your comment in just a second but i got a quick follow up question cuz as you talk about uh, lean thinking you talk about the ability to see waste which is at the core uh, you, and you touched there at the end of your response on culture. So it sounds like your team, if, I, if I'm tracking with you, your team has really come to be able to see and identify waste. And then you've got that force multiplier effect. Is that right, Andrew? Yeah. I mean, it's when, when you learn about Toyota and the difference between companies that have applied lean uh, versus Toyota, you know, most organizations are just missing the people and the culture element. Toyota executes that so well so that when, it, when the time gets tough and we got to solve some problems together, you know, all that people stuff solved. So we can just get to solving problems. And, you know, 16 years ago, when we started on our journey, a lot of egos, a lot of, lot of, Hey, this is my, you know, call, not anyone else's call. And uh, uh, we had to flip that culture completely on its head. And to this day, Keith, Keith and I, and our Amherst senior team, you know, we're really focused. What we say is we're focused on building systems, not working in the systems with our people, how to create the the systems and the culture and the process improvement so that we can take our team to the next uh, level versus we don't need to be the superheroes coming up with all these genius ideas. And if you can get 3000 people every single day solving problems, it's going to be hard to catch up to you. Greg, I know you're chomping at the bit. Uh, your thoughts, Greg. Yeah, very simple. Two things. One is he saw the recession coming and acted then, not after it had impacted or, you know, potentially damaged the company. I think that that is a lesson that every, every single manager of any company should embrace because it takes guts to do that. Because think about how long we've been predicting recessions here and there and everywhere. What if you're wrong? 
mm. and you've done all that. I think in that particular case, you're safe, right? Because all you did was make your company more efficient. But still, that's a risky transition. And especially as Andrew said, you said, having run the company for 40 years at that time in a very, very particular way. Mm. And I think the other is this notion of all of putting all of these brains together, right? I mean, when we talk about technologies like AI, it's not bigger brains or faster brains that makes AI better. It's more brains, the new generation of, of artificial intelligence, these generative um, adversarial networks. That's, that is two or more AI brains arguing with one another until they determine what's right and what's the appropriate solution. So that's exactly what, you know, what this is. You use more of those minds to solve those problems. They'll be more effective and more rapid solutions. You know, as you shared that, uh, Greg, we've talked about this movie before. And Andrew, I'm not sure if you've seen this movie, Her. I think it came out in 2013. It's got Joaquin Phoenix. And I'm not going to give away the ending. But as you were just talking about all the more brains and and uh, and disagreeing, right? You know, and then agreeing on something, and then you're moving ton faster, folks. If you're all about uh, this digital age and the AI era we're living in, go check out that movie because it'll blow your mind. Andrew, have you ever seen Her with Joaquin Phoenix? I have not, but I, I look forward to it. Very he basically falls in love with Siri. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And by the way, Siri's not AI, just to be clear. But good point. Um, but kind of um, advanced principle on that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. To your other point, Greg, it was ahead of its time. You know, 2013, yeah. this is long before we were thinking about was some of these things. Yes, yeah, 2013. Can you believe that? What, one thought. One thought. Yes. Just so if you think about it, like something hit me many, many years ago, which is like, you know, it's it's our team versus the competition. You know, we're, we're and by the way, we love our industry. We love, we respect all of our competitors and they're, you know, we're, we're very blessed. It's a great industry. But we but all want to win. Yeah, yeah, we all want right. to win. We all want to win. <laughs> But some hit me, you know, years ago, and, and I, I give credit to Toyota to open up my eyes. It's just like it's our people versus theirs. I remember asking this, you know, learning this really uh, sophisticated problem solving methodology. And um, the, the person at Toyota, I was like, so, all right, I learned this. You know, this is cool. Um, and, but they were like, great. Now you have to get your whole company to learn it. And mm. I was like, my whole company? No way. No way. Only a few of us can know this. And fast forward, like, you know, we're on that way. Like we are. You know, it's it's we're on a journey to create an army of problem solvers. Whether you're a day in receiving department, you can be a, you, you can learn this methodology actually, uh, or you've been a senior vice president or a C-suite member. You, you know, we're teaching the same problem solving skills to everybody in our company, and and we're, I love what I'm seeing with our company because we're just we're getting a little closer to everybody's a problem solver, and and that, that's going to be hard to beat. Mm, an army of problem solvers. I love it. It's like a tidal wave. Uh, all right, so let's talk about uh, some of your priorities. Uh, my hunch is that you always see opportunity. That's just kind of how you're striking me, Andrew. And I bet more and more the teams is geared the same way. So talk to us, if you would, about City Furniture's priorities when it comes to supply chain performance now and, and some of the some of the areas maybe you want to improve in. So, so it kind of starts with our vision, and you know we have some very lofty you know vision targets. I mean, you could probably imagine you know, being, you know, number one in home furnishings, retail, you know, uh, high, uh, the highest level of NPS scores and all of home furnishings, eventually retail, you know, green, you know, positive or uh, uh, carbon neutral, you name it. So, so I guess, you know, trickle that down into the supply chain world. They have all the KPIs that you guys are familiar with. 
We always category our KPIs into safety, quality, customer, performance, and teamwork. Performance is financial. Teamwork, think of it as like culture. So, but it always starts with safety. So we're, we're pushing our supply chain team. They've worked their butts off to make sure that all of our products that we develop all across the world are always up to compliance and really ahead of compliance. So that's just one example. Quality, we're always trying to drive down our defects, you know, whether they get here or whether it's warranty issues in the customer's home, even though it's wear and tear. And you're, if you're like me, I sit in the corner of my sectional for three years and, you know, Hey, we still got to fix that issue. Even though I, you know, the, you know, me or the customer doesn't move too much from the same spot. Andrew, Just, Hey, really quick. My dear wife, Amanda calls that the cozy corner and she's laid claim to that since yeah. the time we had our furniture delivered. So, uh, but you're, as you were saying, you know, we, we, from a financial performance side, we always want the, you know, the lowest amount of inventory, right. To get the highest amount of return on investment, highest sales, dollar amounts on time delivery. We measure all that first time completion percentages. And then culturally, we want to make sure our supply chain team is really well cross-trained. You know, they need to be learning, uh, you know, uh, Greg generative AI and how it could apply to their jobs and, and, and where they can uh, apply uh, apply it to make themselves more efficient, productive, more accurate. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of cross-training there or just monitoring their morale. So it, it's not rocket science. We put goals up on the wall and we work together to achieve them. Mm. Greg? I don't know. I mean, I, I, all I, what I recall in, in the little work that I did, you know, my job was basically to be the pony in the dog and pony show. <laughs> when when we started working with city but i heard a lot of of a lot of this sort of thing and i don't know i don't remember andrew i don't remember what year it was it was probably six or seven years ago that you guys yeah. actually um bought from us but i remember hearing a lot about it and i i just think that this is such a consistent story of preemption right of vision and i don't mean just far out vision of of the ability to see what is coming practically in in the business and then doing something about it when you see it not when it impacts you and i just to me that's that jumps out at me right here sorry i know that's off topic for the answer to the question but that's this this kind of well, is culminating this feeling around the culture and the operations of this organization you'd be proud um that team uh you know i've you know, you're not supposed, you're supposed to love everybody. Right. Uh, but since this is a supply chain show, I'll say supply chain has been like the, the biggest outperformer since the pandemic. Um, you know, we hit record levels sales because of just their proactive forecast. So you, you love this. So March 15th, when the world was shutting down, we forecasted sales to drop 85% the following month, 15 days later. And um, in that first week, we saw when our stores got forced to be shut down, we saw in the data, our supply chain leaders did, um, and analytics teams saw in the data that, wait a minute, sales aren't dropping. Sales are slowing, yes, for sure, but they're not as significant. That led to the assumption that, wait a minute, people are going to be home, they're going to buy more. And we were one of the only furniture retailers that I'm aware of in the, in the country uh, that didn't turn off their supply chain. Meaning, so if you think your stores are shutting down, why why keep buying inventory? Um, so we we didn't turn it off. Remember our suppliers in those early days of late March, early April, they were like, "Hey, you're you're still ordering." Uh, everybody else turned off their orders. Is this an accident? We go now, keep it flowing, and uh, um, because our inventory levels were ninety five percent, probably you know May, 
June when people were at home and they were all like, what are we doing? And I, I, I got to fix the patio. My wife gave me three or four projects. Um, <laughs> you know, we, our sales just actually grew 20% that year. And uh, the following year was almost 50. And, uh, and I, I give it all because of supply chain, proactive planning, visual management systems, you know, but they, they had their guts too. So Got a lot of great forecasting, and I and because of that, they've been the all stars since the pandemic. I don't know if we can officially call the pandemic over. I think so, but uh, but they they've crushed it. They you'd be proud. That's awesome, uh, and that is a very rare story. So that's two preemptive strikes by this organization, and it, and it goes back to what Scott, you and you Andrew have been talking about, and that is this whole empowerment of the entire organization. They knew they weren't going to get their head chopped off if. Right. If the, wrong. The, their opinion was equivalent to anyone's, if that's what they saw in the numbers. So there are a lot of lessons here, folks. Listen very carefully and take lots of notes. I'm yeah, on page rewind, 16. Rewind, rewind. Right. All right. So I got to shift gears for the sake of time. Uh, Andrew really have enjoyed your story and really, you know, your passion as you tell the story and tell your company, you know, what y'all are doing. I mean, it, it, I don't know about you, Greg, but it's, it's like blowing out my monitor. Just it, it, it's like you wear these truths on your on your sleeve. And I bet you're a great CEO to work for. Is my hunch. Um, let's talk about corporate responsibility. Uh, I understand that you and your team there at City Furniture really prides itself on corporate responsibility. I want to talk about uh, this five percent giving pledge and what is that? And tell talk to us about the so what there. So the, the 5% giving pledge starts back where my, my father and my uncle were very uh, religious guys, very always about giving back, writing anonymous checks to, um, you know, the local church or someone that needed some help, you name it. Um, but I remember five years ago, looking at our financials, just adding everything up, being like, hey, dad, like, I love you, man. But like, the people need to know this. Like, I'm not saying like, let's market it, but like... Yeah. They need to know that you are a good leader giving back to the community. You know, in this day and age, we all vote with our our dollars and we want to we want to give it to companies that we know are giving, you know, doing good in the community. So that's when we started. Um, we created five percent. So it's a minimum of five percent of our profits go back into the community. We're well, well above that. And it's in five areas of education, uh, service. That would be like an example of uh, men and women that serve our country or fire departments, you name it. Diversity, we have strong partners like Urban League, uh, One Pulse Foundation, Prospera Organization. You know, so we've been ahead of the curve, in my opinion, on, on really trying to invest in, you know, and in, in su support, you know, our diverse community. Uh, health, uh, my mom died of breast cancer. So mm. you know, American Cancer Society um, is our number one partner. Second one is American Heart Association. My uncle, who started the business with my dad, uh, he died of a heart disease early on. He was only 52. Wow. So, so those are two major partners on the health side and then uh, home. Uh, so naturally, we're pretty good at supporting Habitat for Humanity uh, mm -hmm. and donating. So we, we support a lot of their restores that provide a lot of good in, in the community. So anyways, it's a public pledge. So, you know, when you shop with us, you can feel good that like, hey, we're going to we're going to give back as best we possibly can to the community. Greg, I don't know. I, I, I bet that resonates with you. It, re it really resonates with me. Your thoughts? Yeah, I love that. I mean, I, I think 5% is a big number. It's a, it's a huge number relative to other companies. So it's it's generous um, and accountable. And I, I think that's, you know, that engagement in the community is really, really important. Yep. 
Greg, well Greg I appreciate you knowing that that's a big number because not too many people do. So I actually appreciate that call out. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, uh, we skipped over something I want to ask about uh, before we kind of come down uh, and get some of your career advice to some of our listeners that want to make it in C-suite. Before we get there, I want to talk about sustainability, right? Uh, this green promise that City Furniture has made. Uh, tell us about that, how you honor it, and uh, maybe we'll talk about what's next on your sustainability journey. Yeah, our 2040 green promise is, is just that. We're trying to be carbon neutral by 2040. Um, so we, we, we focus in our recycling efforts, our facilities that we design, and our, and our fleet. Um, so uh, we actually won the greenest fleet of 2021 of all fleets in the country. It's all compressed natural gas and electric. Mm -hmm. Um, so our, our head of fleet has been on that journey since 2013 when he, he's that grumpy old mechanic that you all know. And, uh, he, he, I remember saying, ah, I don't know if we can do this green thing. He looked at me like, boy, you better watch yourself. And all of a sudden he's probably one of the most revered, uh, fleet mechanics that have gone, you know, completely green. So, mm, wow. uh, so he, he won the greenest fleet in 2021 is pretty, pr pretty impressive. We have five tests of semi or semis on order. Uh, we have over 250 uh, compressed natural tr uh, gas trucks. So awesome fleet job. So all of our buildings are built le leadership, environmental energy and design lead certified uh, since 2007. I think we have the most uh, real estate in the home furnishings industry that is lead certified by a lot, hundreds of thousands of square feet. Yeah, I'm really proud of this. I just found this out the other day, about 25% of our power is powered through solar panel, uh, FPNL solar together program. So, wow. uh, and in just two years, we'll have a third of our energy be powered by the sun. So I, I, I think we're actually well on our way of beating our, the target of 2040 to be able to say, Hey, we're carbon neutral. Um, so we're, we're really excited. Um, my whole team's all, all in on this, just, just like the giving the green stuff is almost just as motivating for our team. Uh, so you, you buy certain products from us, we plant a tree. I mean, we, we do it all. And, um, and, and honestly, it's it's the right thing to do, but it also helps us save a lot of money for our business and it attracts new customers and it helps retain our associates because they just know we're a green organization. So, mm. and I can talk for hours about what we're doing there. So it's important to say that first part loud for the people in the back is Go that ahead. sustainability can actually save money for your business. Mm. I think that there's an enormous perception out there that's very, very costly. Yep. to be green and sustainable. So, so Greg, th this is for real. We're probably, and I, I, I say this publicly, not to brag, but to hopefully get more people doing what we're doing. Compressed natural gas, I think our gallon, they call it gallon gas per uh, equivalent of like diesel. Ours is of what, like $5 a gallon or $4 a gallon. We're at about $1.35, $1.50. So, uh, we our payback when we went all in on green in 2014 2015 might have been a year and a half uh, now we were changing out the fleet at the same time but i we get a one we get one year's or one month's bill uh from the government in a check saying thank you for being uh you know uh, compressed natural gas it's a domestic energy it's 67 percent less emissions so you're absolutely right this can save you a whole bunch of money and there's companies like city that actually we'll show you and your mechanic what to do. We'll we'll tell you where our partners, this is the truck, this is how we fuel it, this is this is what happens if the engine goes, you know. So there, you know, we actually put on a green summit last year uh publicly 
just to communicate, even to our competitors in our market, be like, this is what you do to save money as well as be way more green. And that's, uh, as you started to say on the, on the first part of your response there, it's not only important industry, it's important. It's not only important to your customers, but it's important to your team members. You got the trifecta working there. Um, all right. So let's, uh, as we come around the home stretch, want to pick your brain. You know, we get, uh, Greg, we get asked this question all the time, whether it's on um, social, whether it's on live streams, you name it. What is one piece of advice, Andrew, for our listeners that want to make it and break out into the C-suite one day? What's one piece of advice you'd give our listeners? I'm going to cheat. Let me say two, but I'll be quick. Um, so, so I think early on, I, I learned how to solve problems. There's, there's a lot of different methodologies out there that you can apply to solve a problem. A lot of people do, you know, and sometimes in school, they don't teach you how to solve a problem. So that creates friction. It creates challenges with your people or your boss or your peers. So learn how to solve problems. There's a lot of different methodologies. Google it. You'll figure it out. Number two, be a, be a subject matter expert in your industry, your craft, whatever it is. You know, I, I was a, I tried to be a subject matter expert in operations, learn problem solving. And then as I grew within the organization, I could apply that problem solving to sales, to HR, to anything. Uh, but, but I think if they want to be in the C-suite, you got to really focus, you, you know, in, in a particular area, you're going to be great at business. You're going to be great at supply chain. You know, it's, or furniture industry, you want to be expert on that industry, whatever it is, I think you got to kind of narrow your focus and, uh, um, but be a, be a broad problem solver so that you can do anything your entire life. Love that. Uh, be a problem solver, be a subject matter expert, and uh, that helps drive big returns on focus. ROF, new metric coming to a financial uh, dashboard near you. Greg, respond to uh, his advice there on how to, how to achieve and succeed and, and work your way up the ladder. Yeah, I think uh, the, the underlying message I heard maybe it was maybe it was overarching, and I'm just slow. Is <laughs> is specialize right? Decide where. Don't just say C-suite. Yeah, I want to be a CFO because that's a distinctly different discipline than chief supply chain officer or CEO. If you are a problem solver, and you pick a niche, right? Let's just say it's supply chain, since I guess we have to, right? And. <laughs> Let's just say it's supply chain. Get really good at no, at knowing your craft, as he said. Be a be a subject matter expert and be a problem solver. That problem then solves itself of ascending to the you know the C suite level. If that's what you want to do, you have to also have leadership skills and be as uh, open and transparent and inclusive as Andrew is. But but ultimately, it it, it is that specialization and that commitment to solving problems, whatever they are, that gets you there. Well said, I know what you want. Uh, I love your, 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 one of your comments there about being real specific, Greg, it's, it's so important. I think we'd latch on to these uh, cliches, these broad general cliches, and, and we don't make as much progress as, as we want. Uh, so know what you want, get specific. Let's uh, do this, Andrew. Really, I wish we had a couple more hours with you. Um, and you know, I don't think you need to sign. I think, I think if uh, city furniture would just hook their, um, power grid up to you, Andrew, I think they'd have all the energy and then some they would need for the rest of the year. Let's how can folks connect with you and the high performing city furniture team? Yeah, well, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. So just, you know, type in my name, Andrew Koenig, and you'll see me on there. 
Um, I'm on, I'm I, because, you know, Hey, marketing is really important and social media is really important. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Instagram. The real, the real AK city 55 is my, uh, contact, but I'm on all those channels. Uh, not only to keep an eye on the, the marketing world, but, uh, uh, you know, where our consumers are, but, uh, also there to engage and interact and have relationships with the community, other, you know, future young generation leadership. I was fortunate to have a lot of people, uh, you know, uh, taught me a lot when I was younger. So uh, reach out. I'll be out there. Love that. Uh, yeah. Andrew Koenig, CEO with City Furniture. Really appreciate your time here today. Greg, mm. before we wrap here today, um, gosh, there are so many moments of brilliance. I'll just, I'm just going to be transparent about it that Andrew shared here. Uh, what's one of your favorite things, Greg, that we heard here today? I think it's the notion of, of, um, taking lean and recognizing that it's about people, not about the process, that it's about the people and their and in empowering them to be able to fulfill this process and recognizing that it's, it takes the totality of your people to be able to do that. I, I think more leaders need to recognize that. That's and right. Like Andrew, you know, Scott, I'm prone to when you ask me for one thing to give you two, I just cannot wait to go to Andrew's TikTok and see him do random. Yeah. I am oh just. <laughs> oh, well, hey, yeah. I want to I want to double down on that first point, uh, Greg. That's yeah. a great one because uh, Andrew, what you're seeing here and what you've heard here today, and I bet if we walk through and talk with City Furniture's employees and, and team members, um, it's not the cliche version of lean. You know, that that when folks get it wrong and they use it as an excuse to slash this and slash that, it's mm. about what it creates value and creates opportunity. And, and it's a mindset. And man, Andrew put it on full display here today, what re lean thinking really is and not that misperception is out in the marketplace. So thank you, Andrew Koenig, uh, CEO with City Furniture. Thanks for being here today. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it very much. Thanks, Greg. Yeah, thanks. Good seeing you again. And Greg White, man, this has got to be one of my recent favorite interviews. Your last thought before I sign off here today. I actually took notes, Scott. <laughs> you know, you always get 13 to 17 pages, but I actually took notes and that is something of note. So that <laughs> should tell people how important this message is. Agreed. All right, folks, hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as me and Greg have. Hey, be sure to find Supply Channel wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so you don't miss conversations just like this one. Find us on YouTube where it's really easy to watch and listen to our shows. But whatever you do, most important thing we're going to share here today. On behalf of our entire team here at Supply Chain Now, Scott Luton wishing you nothing but the best. Hey, deeds not words. Do good. Give forward. Be the change that's needed. And with that said, we'll see you next time right back here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.